0: Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Hello, everyone. Rick Thomas here. Welcome to Life Over Coffee. Thank you so much for joining me. I want to talk about the uncomfortable benefit of God being silent. There's a lot of words there that uh, probably resonate with you. I'm sure that you have experienced the silence of God once upon a time of course that is uncomfortable but the word that you might not be resonating with is the word benefit sometimes the silence of god is beneficial because he is doing something in his silence and so i want to talk about that Just for a few moments here. You see, silence does not have to be a bad thing, even the silence of God. I mean, quick to listen and slow to speak is biblical. Brother James told us that. The gifts of reflection and pondering, they seem lost in our impulsive, ready, fire, aim culture. There are times when silence is wisdom. Have you ever considered, I'm sure you have, the deliberateness of God? During the Lord's quietness, He can communicate some of the most profound truths if you are willing to listen. Whether speaking or not, we have to trust the Lord's wisdom. Because life does not function formulaically, meaning a speaking God is good, but a quiet God is not. And so trusting God as he is moving us down the path of life, sometimes he will do that quietly. In Proverbs sixteen nine, it says this, the heart of man plans his way but the Lord establishes his steps. So I want to get inside of that word establishes because I'm going to make a case that he establishes our steps by speaking to us, but he also establishes our steps by being quiet too. And so I'm sure you're aware that God establishes our steps, and that doesn't necessarily mean that he is always communicating to us, especially the backstory or the motive for directing us one way or the other. He didn't communicate those things to Job. I mean, there was silence there that Job was not perceptive to. The best we can do is just make our plans while holding on to them loosely, knowing that God's will operates on a higher plane than ours. Even after we set out on the course with his blessing, he can insert a course correction. What was true one time is not true all the time. Our plans made sense to us when we laid them before the Lord, but he redirected our paths differently. And sometimes his paths led to places that we never anticipated Think about when God first regenerated you. If you've been saved more than a half a minute, uh, your life has had a zigzag pattern to it. You sense the Lord leading you this way, and now you are moving this way. I'm not saying that that is a wrong thing at all. We make our plans. God establishes our steps. He moves us by communicating to us, and he moves us by being silent. Human ingenuity and understanding cannot answer all of our questions because we serve an active God who is always working in ways that we cannot fully understand or explain. Now, this challenge is tough, and maybe you want to insert the word scary there, when our plans fall apart and we face plant into personal suffering. Typically, when this happens, we are tempted to focus on what we did wrong. Or maybe we direct our disappointment toward the Lord because He did not meet our expectations. Now, perhaps you didn't do anything wrong. Or maybe you didn't do anything crazy enough to warrant such suffering. You want to be careful here because to falsify the character of the sufferer, you did wrong. Or the character of the Lord, He did wrong. That cannot be our first consideration. Maybe nobody really did anything wrong. In the case of Job, he really did not do anything wrong. And the Lord didn't do anything wrong either. And so we want to make sure that we don't, as first impulse, falsify the character of Job in this case or the Lord. Because that is not what was happening. Perhaps the Lord knows better than we do. So he directs our paths in such a way that brings pain into our lives. We read this in 2 Corinthians 12 where God inserted a thorn into Paul's flesh. Is it possible for the Lord to be up to something kind that can only come about through suffering? Could the deep pain that we are going through today be the tapestry the Lord will use to show the beauty of His plans for us? These are helpful truths to consider as we reflect on His mysterious and good intentions for us. If you're unsure of His purposes, the real issue for you to ponder during these times of suffering is the silence of God. Why does the Lord not tell you the plans that he has for you? Why does he have to be silent? In Job 28, 12, we see the beginnings of Job wrestling with this. He wants God's wisdom, but all he has had thus far is a conversation with with some unhelpful friends, and God has been intentionally and obviously silent for a long time. This is what, happened, this is what Job said in 28.12. He says, But where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? He later said in the same chapter, number 28, From where then does wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. He is talking about the silence of God. Now, here's a good point. Silence does not mean a lack of leadership. Just because God is not speaking to you, it would be wrong to assume that he is not leading you. Leadership is verbal and leadership is silence. It can be that there are times when the Lord needs to choose silence over speaking. We do see this in Job 28 where our old friend needed the wisdom to figure out what was going on in his life. He just went through 25 chapters of back and forth with his friends leading to nowhere. And the Lord was mysteriously silent through all of this jabbering. And Job was aware of of God's quietness while he is exclaiming, Where is wisdom then? Because you boys don't have it. He was hungry for God's words, and he was weary of men's wisdom. Job knew that he needed a speaking God, but he could not find him in his mess. You are hurting and you are struggling, and the Lord keeps his cards close to his divine vest. And so Job cries, Where is wisdom? Wisdom is living in the skill that is active, moving, and doing. Wisdom is not passive or static, wisdom does not sit still. Wisdom gives you what you need to respond actively to God and others. Wisdom is an ever-increasing and maturing knowledge that you are actively applying in the milieu of your lives. Wisdom is not a philosophical idea or a preachy cliche, but a theologically precise act practice of God's work through you and into your life context. Wisdom is what you need a lot of to do life well. And Job did not have it. His life fell apart and he needed the active wisdom of God to put his life back together again. And this is where it gets interesting on our journey with Job The Lord does not answer his query for wisdom. For the first time since the beginning of the book, the Lord does speak. This is Job 28, 28. God says this, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. And so are you looking for wisdom? i found it its location is in the fear of god did you expect that did you know that did you know that there is an inseparable connection between the wisdom of the lord and the fear of the lord think about a coin one coin two sides on the bottom side we have the fear of the lord and then on the top side we have the wisdom of the lord What God is teaching us here is that you gain wisdom by actively walking on the path of life with the Lord, and the fear of God is how you walk on that path. The two are inseparable. Without the fear of God in our lives, activated in our souls, we will not be wise because we need the fear of God To make wisdom what it is. And so there is perfect symmetry that most Christians may not have considered. At best, they see wisdom as a a knowledge-gathering exercise, motivating them to study God's Word. It's essential, but it lacks a vital ingredient, the fear of God. You can't have proper biblical wisdom without proper biblical fear of God. And this is what the Lord is teaching us in Job 28. The fear of the Lord means to take him seriously, knowing that he alone is wise and powerful. It is a contrite recognition that we are not wise and that we are not powerful. Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians 1, that the foolishness of God is wiser than all of us. That the weakness of God is stronger than all of us. No, the, 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 that God is uh, wise and powerful, it is a contrite recognition that we are not wise or powerful. Because of who he is, we can trust him fully in all ways and to any degree. God is God and we are not. And so the fear of the Lord, it's not to be afraid of him. Uh, sometimes people equate fear that way, and that makes sense because that's probably the most use, usage of the word fear, by being afraid, like anxiety and worry and terror and scared. No, that's not what the fear of God means. It's not to be afraid of Him, but it is to be afraid of ourselves. If we properly fear God, then then we We are properly afraid of ourselves because we know that we can botch it up, and so we won't have a reverential respect for God knowing that we cannot be trusted. It is a simultaneous recognition of who we are and who He is while discerning the ginormous difference between those opposites. This kind of solemn respect for the Lord, it brings humility to our souls And you can kind of see how and why wisdom would begin to trickle in if we have that kind of humility, but we can only have that kind of humility when we have that kind of fear of God, a contrite recognition that he is all wise and he is all strong and we are not. And the fear of God forms the base upon which we gather and store Wisdom, as I was using the Cohen illustration a while ago. The bottom side is the fear of God, the top side is the wisdom of God. And so the fear of God and the wisdom of God work together as cause and effect. The foundational fear of the Lord is the cause that produces the wisdom of the Lord, the effect in which we actively engage God in our lives, in the milieu, it, milieus in which we live. Without a right understanding of and a maturing of the fear of God, a person will not be able to gain the wisdom of God. It would be like pouring water on oil, pouring water on a duck's back. The result for a person who does not fear God the right way will experience ongoing, unremitting frustration in his life and his relationships, which brings us to Job. He was not taking God seriously, as he should have. He was popping off at the mouth, lacing his words with accusations. His lack of a proper fear of God kept the wisdom of God veiled to him, And he was not perceiving this. Have you heard someone speak in such a way that you knew they were angry with God? They might not have said the quiet part aloud because of Christian etiquette. But as they talk about their life or maybe talk about their relationships, perhaps they're talking about some adverse situation in their life. You can hear an accusation of God because God is sovereign over all things. Think about this. If we complain or grumble on the earthly plane, it is not as as those things are happening to us outside of God's control or permission. It's not like we live in this world. He lives in that world and those worlds have no connection whatsoever. We do think of God inhabiting the divine space, but he is omnipresent. He is omnipotent. He is omniscient. He's fully aware of every hair on your head. And he's fully aware of all your plans. And he has the sovereign right to establish our paths in any way that he wants to. But if he is doing that, he is doing that for a reason. My point is that God is in charge and we are not. Thus, when things do not meet our expectations, our responses and our reactions to those things on the human plane will reveal revere, will reveal, will our fear or lack thereof. And so as you listen to your friend grumble and complain on the human plane about their life, their relationships, their situations, we can pity them appropriately and biblically, but we want to listen at another level. Because that grumbling, Job had a grumbling spirit, and it was as though God was not a part of it, but God is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. There is no disconnect between what is going on with us and what God is doing in our lives. And so when we grumble about what's going on in our lives, we are accusing God, which is a lack of respect for God. And because of this weakened fear of God, He's not going to give us wisdom on top of that faulty foundation. When life does not make sense to us, God sees this. He knows that we do not understand that life does not make sense to us. We're not omniscient. By the way, parents understand this concept too. Let me bring it down to a human illustration that many of us, most of us can can recognize. They know there is wisdom and understanding that a child cannot possess. And so the child must trust beyond their knowledge, beyond their awareness of how things ought to be. If the child does not have a sober assessment of what they lack or what the parents possess, he will miss the wisdom of the parents, and his life will be more complicated than it needs to be. Because of this lack of respect for the parents, he is missing out on the wisdom that the parents could provide for him but he hasn't come to that place of recognizing because he's still full of himself. He's got his ideas, his agendas, his desires. He doesn't respect the parents, thus he misses out on the wisdom that could be provided. There are many things that a parent would like to tell their children, but only when the child is genuinely broken and humbly asking, can the parent really speak with authority and clarity. If the child does not have a proper reverence for his parents, the parents may choose silence because it is obvious the child is unwilling to learn. And thus, silence is leadership too. The child's lack of reverence for the parent shuts him out from the parent's wisdom. You see the symmetry between the fear of God and the wisdom of God. They are working hand in hand. Now, some people would argue that I have been seeking the Lord. I have been asking for his wisdom. I want to know his thoughts, and I want to know his plans for me. No doubt, all of those things are true. I, I would not argue at all with, with those statements if you make them. But this is where it will become hard for the inquirer, and for the person who says those things. If the Lord is silent, he is rooting something out of us. Many times in my life, I've uploaded seeking the Lord and pleading for wisdom with self preserving motives and agendas i mean you see christ doing this in the garden of gethsemane in 22 of luke and then finally he comes to the place i mean here's my agenda don't take the uh, please take this cup away from me i mean self-preserving motives and agendas but finally he came to the place uh, to where he said not my will but your will be done you see i was not mature enough or genuinely transparent enough to hear what i needed to hear and thus the lord was silent If the Lord is silent, he's probably rooting something out of us that we need to address. There was no use for him to speak to me because I laced my motives with self. The Lord's silence in my situation was not because he was mean. He was wise and loving. He knew how the thoughts and intentions of my heart were not pure The silence of the Lord lasted as long as I persisted in holding on to what I wanted more than what He knew was best for me. In my heart of hearts, I knew I was not willing to relinquish my plans entirely. The search for wisdom and its application happens through the process of elimination. The more you eliminate what you want, while thrusting yourself on the Lord, regardless of the cost, the more wisdom that you will possess. Proverbs 3, 5-7 through 7 says it this way. I'm sure many of you are quite familiar with this passage. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. And turn away from evil. When suffering happens, a typical first response is to manage and control the situation in a way that makes sense to the person who is hurting. Rather than seeking wisdom from the Lord, the person leans into his own understanding. It is not so much that the Lord is silent as it is that the person is not listening to what he needs to hear. It is the silence of God that leads to the required answers. As our ways become more futile, we begin a process of coming to the end of ourselves, the process of elimination. And this end of ourselves is the beginning of wisdom. Once you're out of options and your plans are completely ruined, you turn to the Lord. Then you're ready to listen. It's much like the prodigal son, as we read in Luke's gospel. We have to do it our way. And only when our ideas lead us to more desperation do we decide to to be silent and listen to God. I imagine the prodigal came back with his hat in his hand to his daddy, having much more respect for his father, leading to wisdom. Respect leads to wisdom. The fear of God leads to Wisdom, the wisdom that he lacked, and so it is with God. The fear of God and the silence of God work hand in hand. The Lord will use silence to lead us into a more profound desperation. After we exhaust our self reliant resiliency and stop leaning on our own understanding, we grow our respect for God. A new foundation begins the form, a fear of God foundation. We're not as high minded now, as we realize God has what we need, but my infatuation with myself and my self willed impulse to do things my way, it has kept me from the inexhaustible supply of wisdom. Job needed to put his hat in his hand, which he did finally, as we will get to eventually in the last chapter. Rather than accusing God for not meeting his desires in the way that he expected them to be met, he should have humbled himself, not accusing, not grumbling about his life and recognize that all of his motives and all of his preferences were not pure. And God would would not take his anthropomorphic foot Off his metaphorical neck until Job became fully honest about the operations of his heart. Like the prodigal Job eventually came to his senses as noted by putting his hand over his mouth eventually. I spoke once but I'll not speak a second time. He stopped talking and he began listening. And that is when God broke through the silence. Now, of course, in in chapter 38, I believe when God broke through the silence, he actually (laughs) laid Job lower than he was when he came before God. The Lord wanted to ensure that Job's fear of God foundation was solid and secure because his desire for our old friend was to teach him wisdom something he could not do without a healthy fear of god now when i say this i'm not making an accusation here as much as a confession but this is true or at least true for me it's hard to talk unashamedly about how we may be self-deceived especially during hard times Sometimes we can want something so badly that we cannot see how our self-deception is bending our thinking in the wrong direction. We're hurt, we're lonely, we're afraid, and God is silent. In nearly every case, His silence is because we will not let go of something that we want. Something He knows is not best for us. Thus, the impasse. We disagree with God, like Job was doing, and even when discussing those things with our friends, we can become feisty and nasty and even accusatory, especially if our friends do not see things our way. Now, here's the irony. Our retorts and resistance to our friends, it actually reveals our most genuine thoughts about God As I was saying earlier, there's not this disconnect between the divine space and our space as though they are two different things because God is omniscient. We neither fear our friends by how we talk to them, and because of who God is omnipresent, we don't fear Him either. And it's our lack of fear of God that sabotages any wisdom that He might desire to provide. Go back to that parent again. Think about the parent with an angry child. What use is it to provide wisdom when the child is rebelling, accusatory, not at the end of himself, and he continues to hold on to an agenda or a desire that is not best for him? There is no world where he will steward well what wisdom you want to give him. It takes a lot of humble desperation to lay all our cards on the table. If we're not willing to be that honest, we will cut ourselves off from the wisdom of the Lord. This life intersection is where two of the more critical questions we should be asking our friends when they're coming to us like Job. Number one, are there any traces of my will in your plans? Number two, Are you willing to have all your motives and agendas laid bare before the Lord? Asking these soul-searching questions is the beginning of wisdom. God will speak when we are willing to hold our ideas loosely while asking the Lord to use others to shake us from the things that have captured our hearts. The depth of self-deception and self-loyalty is more complicated and binding than than we may want to believe. Imagine if your child, if you are a parent, came to you and honestly asked, what do you perceive about me that I might not recognize about myself? Or will you help me to see what I cannot see? You would definitely speak because two things would be true. The child respects you enough to ask those questions and the child is seeking your wisdom. And so their reverential fear of parent in this illustration will necessitate, it will cause wisdom to come to them. The the child is not devising or self-deceived. He wants what is best for him and recognizes that his self-loyalty blinds him from seeing what that is. So he humbly asks you for wisdom out of a deep respect for you. He has no agenda. Paul talked about it this way in Philippians 3. For whatever gain I had, I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And so I finally admitted that I was holding on to something that was dear to me and I was afraid of losing it. And after making that admission, the Lord continued with his silence leading me into more profound desperation. By the way, that's what he did with Job. Job was looking for wisdom in 28, but God did not speak for another 10 chapters. Well, eventually I came to that place of owning my self-deception, and I told the Lord that I needed him more than anything else in this world. He was realigning and readjusting my respect for him. We call this the fear of God. Though I thought I was taking my Christianity seriously, I was not taking it seriously enough. I wanted God plus maybe a few other things. Paul was correct. It's Christ plus nothing. Or our lives will sputter religiously while never finding satisfaction with the world's trinkets that we are desiring. God gave me a contrite recognition of who he is and what he can do and that he is for me. God is on my side, not against me at all. He wanted me to have his wisdom, not my own. He wanted me to let go of any hint of selfishness, regardless of the cost. He wanted me to trust him. Sometimes the silence of the Lord is the best thing for us. If you are experiencing the silence of the Lord, one of the best things for you is to find a place to where you can scrutinize your motives and your agendas. This step will be your first in stewarding God's silence and through the Lord's silence we will see an aspect of Job that was not clear to us when we first met him way back in in chapter 1 as we progress through the rest of his book his hidden motives will be brought to light and after they are Job will experience transformation when God breaks through the silence and finally speaks I've titled this The Uncomfortable Benefit of God Being Silent. You can go to lifeovercoffee.com. You can read it, watch it, or listen to it. These are free resources for you. Please take them, use them, share them with 1,000 of your closest friends. That would really be great. Let me wrap up here with a few questions. How are the fear of God and the wisdom of God two sides of the same coin? If someone came to you seeking wisdom from the Lord, what would you want to know about their understanding and practice of the fear of God? Number two, will you talk about how the silence of God is a good thing, especially especially as it roots out hidden agendas and undisclosed desires? Three, What is the connection between a person who is angry at a friend who is genuinely and biblically helping and their anger with God? What is that connection? What does that tell you about their fear of God? Why is it impossible to be frustrated with life on earth and not be making an accusation toward God? And then number four, has there been a time in your life when God was silent? Would you mind taking some time to work to apply what you have heard here, perhaps speaking with someone about these things would be helpful for you. The uncomfortable benefit of God being silent. Thanks so much, and may God bless you. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.